I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm sweating over here just a little bit. We did talk about how uh, what, says, what was said in the group stays in the group, and <clears throat> no, it was, it was, it was, it, we don't have time this morning, I'm sure. You got better things to do. All right, um, get your Bibles out if you would, please. We started a, a series around here that we're calling a Healer. And we started out the series with a question. That question that I asked you was this. Do you believe there is hope for your healing? And I'm hoping those of you who've been around here as we've started this series, you're letting that kind of percolate within you. Because do you believe that God can bring healing to the hurt and heartache that maybe is inside of you? Do you believe that God can bring healing to those addictions that you're struggling with? you believe God can bring healing to those relationships? Can God bring healing to those sicknesses and diseases that your body is struggling with? And I ask you to imagine that if God does heal and he wants to heal, then where do you need God's healing to work in your life? And we passed out all of these little three-by-five cards um, that are called Healer on it. And, and uh, I asked you just to write down what healing or other miracle do you desire for your life. And we're taking these cards and we're praying through these every single day. And so if you were not here and you've not received one of these cards, if you'll just raise your hand. The ushers will put one into your hands here because we want to be praying for you that God would bring healing in your life. And we have these, and I've been praying specifically over each one of these cards every single week. We're doing it on Thursday mornings with the staff and the and the. Um, the spiritual lead team. And, and so we're just believing that God can bring healing in your life. And if you've missed the last two weeks or last week or one of the two weeks, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to the last two sessions just to allow just the word of God to come into your heart as we're kind of going through this. I mentioned when we started the series that I felt like God wanted us just to take a, just a little bit of time in the life of our church as we have two congregations coming together to focus on God's healing power working in our lives. Just kind of let that soak inside of us. And so that's what we're going to do here for several weeks. And last week we started to look at how God has revealed himself to us. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That word know we talked about last week in the original Greek word called gnosko, which means to feel, to be sure of, to understand, to be resolved of. It's an interesting word because it's not a word that's passive or hearsay. It's not having a knowledge about something or, or information about something, but it's all about having this personal experience with. That's what this word is. And so the Apostle Paul is saying that he desires to have this personal firsthand experience with Jesus, that he would know firsthand the mighty power of God. Let me ask you a question. Is that your desire? Are you content with just knowing something about God, that somehow he exists? Or do you really want to know him personally? Do you want to know his mighty power and experience that for yourself? The Apostle John actually prayed for us this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. He said, we saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us, this experience of communion with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. This was his prayer that we would experience for ourselves, that we do experience the, the, the incredible relevance and the power of God working to us in a very personal way. The problem I mentioned last week is I think for so many of us, we just kind of settle for knowledge. 
We settle for some sort of secondhand hearsay, rumor type of a relationship with God. But I think it's really important for us to understand that God wants you to know him personally. He's not hiding it from you, as some believe. But God actually wants you to know him personally. Just as you want to be known for who you are, just as you want to have people not misunderstand you, God wants you to know who he is. One of the fun things about um, George's grouping, and Courtney and I, we just attend this group, but one of the fun things about it is that we can just be Russ and Courtney. Because it's really important for us that people know us. Not somebody who stands up here in the morning, not somebody that has a, the title of a pastor, but we're just Russ and Courtney. And I, who I am here this morning as I speak to you is who I am tonight in my home and tomorrow on Monday, um, back here in the office. There, there is no difference. And I want you to be able to know me. And this is how God wants, he wants us to be known this. He wants, he wants to be known this. So he doesn't want to be misunderstood. And he doesn't want us just to have this kind of knowledge about him that's based on rumors and secondhand information and hearsay. But he truly wants to be known for who he is. And so ever since creation, God's been revealing himself to mankind. And we looked at several of those ways last week. And one of the ways that God has revealed himself to us is as healer. Exodus 15. Verse 22 says, And Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert Ashur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and the law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. We looked at this last week, that those words, the Lord who heals you, in the original Hebrew language are the words Jehovah Rapha. And those words mean the Lord who restores, makes healthful, the one who heals. And so God was saying, this is who I am. One of the first things that God wanted the Israelites to know as soon as they came out of captivity, after 430 years of captivity, one of the first things that he wanted them to know, he said, I want you to know that I am healer. I am the Lord, your healer. And all these diseases that you saw in the Egyptians, I want to protect you from that. I want to bring healing to your life. And in Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means the same God who revealed himself to the Israelites at the waters of Mar and said, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. I am the God who heals. That is the same God who wants to work in your life today. He wants to bring healing to your life in all areas of your life because it is who he is. And he can't be anything that he is not. He is healer, and so that is what he wants to do in our lives. So the question becomes, if God is healer, then why is there so much sickness around us? If God truly is healer, then why is there so much hurt and heartache around us? If God truly is healer, then why is there so much divorce and destruction in our relationships? And if God truly is healer, how do we get access to this healing? Because based upon our cards that all of us are writing down, we need healing in our life. How many of you say amen to that? We need healing in, in, our, in our life. And so how do we get access to this? Well, look at this. I want you to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We're going to start back here at the beginning again. Genesis chapter 1. 
Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So when God first created that first man and that first woman, they were absolutely perfect. They were made in God's image. And in in Genesis 1 verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. In other words, after God created Adam and Eve, he took a step back and he looked at his creation and says, this is really good. This is exactly what I intended when I created. They are perfect. This is exactly what I want. The psalmist David, he gives reference to this, how amazingly God created our bodies. In, In Psalms 139 verse 13, it says, for you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet formed and in your book they are all written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. See, when God made mankind, he made us whole. Think about that. God made us whole. Whole spiritually, whole physically, whole mentally, and whole emotionally. Without sickness, without disease, without pain, without heartache, without any sort of brokenness, God created us whole. This is how God made us. And the interesting thing about this that I find is that every scientist and every doctor, regardless of whether they're atheists or agnostic or Christian, they all agree that the human body is absolutely amazing. Right? Come on. The human body is an, is an amazing thing. And one of the things that's interesting to me is, and I don't have obviously any, any, any uh, medical knowledge of this, but as a pastor, one of the things that puts me in is that I've been around a lot of people who, are, who die. That's just part of what I, I end up doing is a lot of times I'm on the deathbed of a lot, lot of people's lives. And one of the things that's been so interesting to me is that no matter what's going on in their body, this body wants to live. Have you noticed it? Isn't it interesting how people will linger and linger and linger? And the thing that's interesting to me is God created us to live forever. He never intended for these bodies to stop working, right? And it's at the end of life that, I, for me, I see that perspective. I see these bodies wanting to continue to live. It's only when something comes on them which shuts these bodies down. These bodies were made in an amazing way. And so what happened? <laughs> what happened? Because today, obviously, we're surrounded by sickness and disease. We're obviously surrounded by, by pain and by hurt and by destruction and, and broken relationships. We're surrounded by tragedies. And so if God made us in his image and if God made us whole then what in the world happened to get us to this place? Look again here at Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, verse 12. It says, How 
You are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who are weakened, who, who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. That's Isaiah 14. Look at Ezekiel 28. Verse 12, it says, Son of man, take up lamentations for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in in your ways from the day you were created till the iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you a covering cherub from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you into ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the people are astonished at you. You have become a whore and shall be no more forever. Now, here in both of these chapters, we're introduced to the archangel Lucifer. And Lucifer was one of the main, main angels in the presence of God. He was extremely beautiful and had all these abilities, a great musical ability. And it's referenced that he even, even probably led all heaven in worship before God. But all of a sudden, Lucifer becomes prideful and makes this decision to exalt his throne above God's throne. And he enlists one-third of all the angels in heaven to rebel with him against God. But in the quickest battle of all history, God threw out Lucifer and these rebellious angels. He threw them out of heaven. And in that instant, God's son of the morning, with all of his beauty, with all of his ability, became darkness, became ugliness, and became pure evil. And it was then that he obtained this intense hatred toward God. And it was flamed in him, this, this one who eventually that we call Satan. Which brings me then to Genesis 3. Look at this in verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Why is everybody chuckling? (laughs) I'm not saying a thing. (laughs) Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and he'll strike your heel. And he goes on to talk about then the curse coming on the woman, the curse coming on the man. But I want you to notice here that Satan had been looking for a way to get back at God. Satan had been looking for a way to get back at God. And so when Adam and Eve gave into this temptation, it opened the door for him to bring destruction to the very thing that God loved the most, and that is us. He was looking for a way to get at God. But how do you, how do you, how do you get at God? He's, a, he's impervious. He's perfect. How do, you, how do you attack God? He'd already tried. He had failed. How do you get back at God? Well, you go to what he loves the most, which is mankind. That's who God loves the most. And so by getting Adam and Eve to give into temptation, Adam and Eve opened this door to this flood of destruction of Satan's work. And the exchange, God's perfect nature that they had experienced in the garden, they'd exchanged it then for Satan's nature, which includes sickness and disease, poverty, brokenness, hurt, pain, tragedies. That's the nature of Satan. And it's in this nature then that Adam and Eve pass that on to their offspring. The apostle Paul describes this in Romans chapter 5 verse 12. He says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still God still had to experience, command of God still had to experience this termination of life, the separation from God. And so Adam and Eve, what they did by giving it to temptation, they opened this domino effect of Satan's nature controlling our lives and destroying everything that God loves. And so does God, so, so does the devil hate your body? Of course he does. Because he knows if he can get you sick, if he knows he can get you crippled and some, bound in some sort of way, that you won't be able to live out the fullness of what God has for you. And so does the devil hate your body? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. Does the devil hate your marriage? Of course he does. Because he knows that if he can destroy your marriage, it will affect generations to come. There's a domino effect that happens through divorce. Does the devil hate your heart? Absolutely he does, because he knows if he can bring tragedy, hurt, or offense your way, that it will cripple your heart, it will bind your heart, and time will not heal your heart, by the way, folks. That's one of the greatest misnomers that has spoken over humankind. Time will not heal your heart. And so the devil knows all he has to do is create hurt and tragedies in your life to to bound you with wounds, to bound you with hurt and disappointment and frustration and anger and bitterness and offense. Because when that happens, then you're going to be sidelined. You're not going to be able to fulfill all that God has for your life. But this is where God's intervention comes in. 
And aren't you thankful that we're not just out here by ourselves in this battle? God intervenes for us. Look at this in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ had made us friends of God. Verse 14. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sins and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different than the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Listen to what's happening here. Because I think every parent in this world understands this dynamic. Because every parent who's ever experienced the agony of their child being sick, every parent on this this planet would willingly take the place for their child, having that sickness come upon them so that that child wouldn't have to endure that sickness. Right, parents? Every one of us parents would do it. And this is exactly what God did for us. Jesus went to the cross and died for our sin. He died for our mistakes. He took our place. And in doing that, Jesus redeemed us from sin. He redeemed us from Satan's nature that then came on Adam and Eve that was passed from one generation to the other generation. He redeemed us so that God's nature now could come upon our lives. He made it a way for us to be whole Again, look at this in Isaiah 61. This was the prophecy of Jesus coming. Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who dis- that the, both all four of those books describe Jesus' life here on this planet. And when you look at the life of Jesus, everything that you see Jesus doing, the reality of this passage, you'll see it take place where Jesus was making this divine exchange when he encountered people's lives, taking back from Satan what he had stolen from Adam and Eve all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
He was showing us what was going to happen, showing that his coming was going to make this exchange so we could be whole. Again, in Acts 10, verse 38, it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's why Jesus came, folks. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to set us free from the nature of Satan working in our lives. And remember, that nature of Satan includes poverty. It includes death. It includes sickness. It includes disease. It includes includes pain and bitterness and hurt. It includes all of these things. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil that had been manifest in our life. I want you to look at this story here in Luke chapter 3. And I want you to notice how he did this with one specific woman, a crippled woman. Look at this in Luke chapter 13, verse 10. It says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, and being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were being done by him. Now try to imagine what was going on here. Because here was this woman, the Bible describes this woman that had been bound with a spirit of infirmity, and for 18 years, that, that, that bondage, that infirmity was so strong on her that it actually caused her body to bow to the point that she could not stand upright. She could, not, she could not walk. She could not stand upright. But then one day, she's in the synagogue. She comes to church. And there Jesus is speaking. And he, he sees her in the congregation. He calls her forward. And he lays his hands on her and says, Be loosed, woman, from the spirit of affirmation. And immediately, her body straightens up. After 18 years of being bowed down by the spirit of infirmity, immediately her body responds. Life comes to her body. Strength comes to her body. And she's able to stand upright. But then the religious people started arguing whether or not this could happen on the Sabbath. Seriously? This woman who's been this way for 18 years is healed in your church. And you're, you're arguing over protocol and procedures. Really? Really? There's a couple things I think that il- from this illustration I want to point out here because it's such a il- great illustration of what Jesus came to do in our lives. Because number one, it shows us how the devil keeps us bound and crippled and as a result completely ineffective in life. The story shows us how the devil keeps us bound and crippled. And as a result, when you're that way, you're going to be ineffective in life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
Listen, folks, this is what your adversary wants. You have an adversary to your soul and your life who wants to trample on you and keep you from being ineffective. He wants to keep you bound in sickness, bound in disease, bound in hurt, bound in offense, bound in heartache. He wants to keep you bound in relational brokenness because when you're bound, It's impossible for you to be effective in life and what God's called you to do. Number two, it shows us how Jesus wants to heal us and to set us free from the oppression of the devil. Oh boy, this one's good because it shows us how Jesus wants to heal us and set us free from the oppression of the devil. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Listen, folks, we've got to get it through our thick skulls that God wants us whole. Whole spiritually, whole emotionally, whole mentally, and whole physically. And Jesus came to make that possible for you and for me. You're not reaching for or asking for something that God doesn't want to give you. You don't have to plead and beg for him to do it because this is why he came. He came to make you whole again. And the number three. It shows us how religious people want to limit God's healing power and how they want to argue the hows and wins and formulas for us to receive healing. This story illustrates how religious people want to limit God's healing power. And I realize that for some of you, maybe you struggled wondering if God still heals today. Maybe you've been struggling wondering if God really can heal the hurt and heartache in your heart. Maybe you wondered and you struggled whether or not God really can heal this relationship that, you, that you're in right now. You've wondered if God can actually heal the sickness or this disease that's a part of your body. But I'm here to tell you today that God still heals. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And the same God who healed this crippled woman can heal whatever is going on in your life. I've asked Matthew to come and share part of his story and, and testimony here. Courtney, would you hand me the, the microphone here? I asked him to come here and share because he's experienced some of God's power working in his life. And so I want you to pay attention to him and what God has done in his life as well. Thanks, brother. Good morning. Um, my name is Matthew Shaw and um, fortunate enough to be attending here for, for quite a while. And um, Russ asked me to, to share this morning uh, the story. Um, I brought a couple of uh, little demos with me because, you know, Jesus told this guy to take his pallet and get up and walk. Um, these are 17 years of MRIs. Um, and I'm just going to throw them where they belong, which is over there. Um, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, in uh, September of so September 9th, actually, of 2000, and um, the previous month before that, I had been diagnosed with a, a pretty debilitating um, form of, psych- of 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 a bipolar disorder called cyclothymia. Um, and as you can imagine, that <laughs> became overwhelming couple of months. Um, the, the amazing thing about that was that at the time I was not a believer. I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I had grown up in the church. I knew a lot of scripture. I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God. 
And even at that time in my life, he spoke to me and he's, and he gave me this verse that came to my mind. And it's kind of, uh, it reminds me of the story of, of that, the woman that was healed when Jesus had been preaching and he's walking through the crowd and, and the Bible is kind of funny. Uh, there's a lot of comical things in it, but you know, he's walking through this crowd and says the people are just crushing him, pushing in on him. And he, all of a sudden he turns around and he says, who touched me? And the disciples look at him like, seriously? And, and you've got, I mean, but there's some humor to that. You know, God, God speaks to us. It's, you know, it's not all just, you know, cut and dry. And he said, no, no, somebody touched me in faith. I felt power go out of me and he found the woman and she had been healed because she believed that if she just touched the hem of his garment, she'd be healed. And the passage that Jesus brought to my mind was the passage of the disciples in the boat with Jesus going across the sea and the storm comes up and you know the story, Jesus was asleep. And here are these professional fishermen just going crazy. And I thought I'd understood, I'd heard people teach on it and I thought I knew what it was about. But the thing is, what do they do? They rush down and they wake up Jesus. And they're like, don't you care? We're going to perish. And I can, I can see the look on his face when he sat up and went, really? What did I tell you? I said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. You, you know, you have little faith. And so he walks up the you know, deck of the ship, and he says to his creation, peace be still, and boom, sees the glass. And it spoke to me that he didn't really do that miracle to just demonstrate the fact that this was his creation and it would do whatever he wanted it to do. But he did it almost with a little bit of disgust to the disciples of, I told you we were going to the other side. So I say all that because... Jesus, um, after all of this time, um, my sister had, uh, had told the Lord, um, I'm, I'm going to sit on your front porch until you save my brother. And um, she's a pretty uh, determined person and, um, and, a, and a great instrument in my life. And so on January 24th of 2013, he did just that. I went to a conference. The Holy Spirit opened my eyes. I saw that all this truth that I knew and, and had studied and understood the gospel that Jesus had died for everybody but me, that he actually died for me. Um, I always thought I was just too bad for him to have really paid for my sin. So the Holy Spirit, when he opened my eyes, I just, I was crushed. I was broken. I accepted Christ as my savior and, and my life began to change and, and love her church, which is where I was at Kairos, at Gateway in Dallas. And, and so kind of every, you know, after that experience, every time I, I felt God calling me or, you know, wanting to talk to me, I was like, babe, let, let's, my wife, Michelle, um, let's go to Gateway and let's, let's go visit. And so we go to this couple's weekend and, um, after the, the weekend, you know, my sister had, my sister actually baptized me on May 11th. And, uh, and I really began to, to learn what it meant to, to trust Christ in the storm. And so my wife and I went to a marriage encounter weekend in February of 2014. And um, the thing about it that was really cool is at the end of the service, uh, we, we went to service on Sunday, really excited to go to the service. And the thing is, I went, I always go there expectantly. 
And I want to encourage all of you to start doing that in the Sunday morning when you're getting ready for church. Don't just come here because it's Sunday and it's 1030 and this is where you think you have to be. Come here expecting to meet God. I know that he has been speaking to a lot of you this week and this morning. And, and, and I know so many of you are here to, to hear what God has done for me. And so the spirit was moving to me, and I leaned over to my sister, and I said, Hey, can, do you mind going down and praying with me after the service is over? And she said, Sure. Do you mind if this couple prays for you? This particular couple. And, of course, I trust her you know, implicitly. I was like, Sure, great. So we go down, and we wait. And, um, and, and I'm thinking this whole time, I'm thinking, okay, I just, I need prayer for where God wants me. I need prayer for direction. I was, I was really feeling God moving and wanting to do things with my life. And I just, I didn't know where he wanted me to go. So I thought I need a prayer for direction. And I go down there and they kind of, we wait and they get freed up and we're walking over and, and I start the whole spiritual thing that we all do. And I said, Hey, you know, I understand, you know, Matthew, what do you need prayer for? And I said, I, I understand there's, there's thorns in the flesh. And I understand, you know, I, I, I got diagnosed. I, I'm, I'm bipolar. And I understand, you know, that I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and I had ferocious multiple sclerosis. I mean, I, I had, I was paralyzed on half my body. I lost 60% of the vision of my right eye at one time. Um, I would be out with friends and just regular activities, you know, just hanging out and my body would just shut down from the temperature. And they'd have to carry me to our car and take me home and bathe me in an ice bath so that I could get, I mean, it was real obvious. All those things right there, all those documented MS episodes and exacerbations are all right there in that pile of old dead stuff. And so I walked up and I'm, and I'm telling her this story and, you know, and I get it and I understand we have to learn to walk with the Lord. I just want to understand. And she looked at me and she said, stop. stop. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, it's a weird thing for a prayer person to say to somebody asking for prayer. Um, she said, that's a lie. And you're not really up here for why you think you're up here. When you were walking up, God spoke to me and he said, we're going to tear down strongholds today in his life. We're going to tear down chains and we're going to build new. And he, that's a lie. God didn't make you to be broken. He didn't send demons to afflict you and make you, give you bipolar and hear voices. He didn't give you multiple sclerosis to be in pain and to suffer and deal with all these different things. That's not why God made you. He redeemed you and it says by his stripes, we are healed. And that's not past tense. That's present, future, right now. And she said, do you believe Jesus can heal you and wants to heal you? And I said, I'm a new Christian. I mean, I'm, I had a lot of faith, and I was at my Jerusalem there at Gateway, and I'd gone expectantly, and I said, you know what? I believe you can. And she says, great. Do you mind if we pray for you? I said, let's do it. So they prayed, they put hands on me, and they prayed for me, and I don't know how long they prayed. I don't even know what they prayed, but I felt the Spirit of God working in me. And they finished praying, and 
auditorium was pretty much empty by that point, and I turn around and I look at my sister. She says, she had taken a few steps back, and she said, do you believe you're healed? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, then step to me in faith and take hold of your healing. And I did. And I went back to my seat where my wife was waiting on me, and I said, babe, I have a favor to ask you. It's going to take a lot of faith. But I'm not taking my medication anymore. And I was taking a lot of medication. Even my doctor had said, you're taking more than I've ever seen anybody take for bipolar disorder. And then we got back and I said, and I'm not going to go to MS treatment anymore. And she's, and I said, this, I know it's going to take a lot of faith on your part. And at the time, I will say she was skeptical, to say the least. But that summer, when I was playing soccer on our soccer team at work and running around in 102-degree heat for two hours, and when I was mowing the lawn in the middle of the day, and she comes outside and says, babe, why are you mowing the lawn in the heat of the day? And I said, because I can't. Thank you. And, and this is all for his glory, and I'll wrap up because I know I'm, I'm over my time limit. And I brought this, too, because I don't eat anymore. And, um, but the thing is, is that all I have to say is that I, I, I knew, she knew, she'd seen it. My friends who knew me that worked with me that see me now and don't see me tremoring and spilling everything that I'm trying to hold in my hand to drink, that see, you know, that see that God, even my atheist friend said, it's really obvious God healed you. There's a seed planted there. He's going to become a believer one day. But I had what they thought was a TIA last year. Thought I had a stroke. And I didn't understand why. I was under a lot of stress. Made sense. But anyway, I, got, I, I, I had been wanting another MRI, but I couldn't figure out how to get insurance to pay for it. Um, but they really thought I was having a stroke. And so I wind up in the hospital. And the, the first thing they ask is, tell us about your medical history. And my wife says, well, he was diagnosed with MS in 2000. I'm livid because once you say multiple sclerosis to a doctor, guess what? Everything becomes about multiple sclerosis. And, and I, was, I was furious. And I was like, I was healed from that. Oh, okay, great. All right, so we're going to have to move you to a different hospital because we need you to go to a hospital with a the, our chief neurologist because obviously this is a multiple sclerosis thing. You quit your treatment. You know, they go through the whole story. So I'm fuming. And they moved me to Seton downtown. And they're MRIing everything, CAT scanning everything. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, the head of neurology for Seton comes into my room and he sits down with my MRI, and he looks at me, and he said, um, when were you diagnosed with multiple sclerosis? I said, uh, uh, you know, September 9th, 2000. Um, what were the, why, why did they think you had multiple sclerosis? And I said, I had optic neuritis, and, you, and you know, I was partially blind in my right eye. He goes, well, that's kind of typical, but there's other things it could be. He said, who's treating you? who's been treating you in Austin? I said, Dr. Fox. And he's like, Dr. Edward Fox, the chief premier multiple sclerosis doctor in central Texas and the Southwest. 
He said, yep. How long has he been treating you? 14, 15 years. And, he, and, and I was on a black label. You have to sign a, the side effect of this medication is death treatment. And uh, he looked at me and he said, well, I'm looking at your MRIs. I find it hard to believe that Dr. Fox is treating you for multiple sclerosis because I don't really see any signs that you have it. So God heals today. I'm going to have him pray for you in just a second, but in, in Romans chapter... Um, 10 verse 9 and 10 it says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved that word saved in the original Greek language is the word sozo which means delivered redeemed healed think what he's saying if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be delivered. You will be redeemed. You will be healed. It's wholeness, folks. This is what God wants to do. And there's, there's an interesting definition for testimony. One of the aspects of the word testimony means to do it again. When you hear the testimony of this crippled woman who had been that way for 18 years, that testimony of her healing does something in our hearts. When you hear how God healed Matthew from MS and bipolar, there's an aspect of hearing a testimony that opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come and do it again. And so if there is anything going on in your life where you need healing from God, if there's physical things that you need healing from, sickness, disease, whatever it is, I'm just going to ask you to stand because I'm going to ask Matthew to pray over you, all right? So if anybody, just go ahead and stand. If there's any sickness, disease, anything that's debilitating for you that you want and need God's healing to come onto your body. Listen, God is the God who heals. This is who he is. And asking you to take a step of faith by standing, because what you're saying is, okay, God, do it again. Just as you brought healing in all these different people's lives, God, I need healing in my body. Those of you who are sitting around people who are saying, I'm going to ask you just to kind of gather around them. You would just lay your hands on them, which means you need to stand, you need to move, you need to turn around because there's people behind you. Um, and try to find somebody who is standing and just put your hands on them, all right? Because you're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for them as well. But I want, I want you to do this, do this together as a family, all right? Come on, Matthew. Why don't, you just, why don't you just lead us praying over these people? God knows specifically what it is. Whatever that diagnosis, wherever that hurt, whatever that pain, whatever that issue that's going on in your body, God already knows what it is. And remember, he wants you to be whole. He wants you to be healed. I'm going to read this over you. This is Psalm 103. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins 
and heals all your diseases. For all of you that are standing right now that have stood in faith, we have, there's a lot of people have been praying for you all week and we have asked the Holy Spirit to come and settle in this room and settle on you. We've asked Jesus Christ to come and be here and give his angels charge over you and guard this place. And we bind Satan. We bind any demonic force, Father, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, our testimony today is that you are our healer. Yes, God. And we bring all of these people, you know them inside and out, Father. And we just ask in your son's name and give their sickness their brokenness their disease you took it all at the cross and we take it all take it and hand it to him right now take whatever it is that's holding you back that's that's hindering you physically mentally spiritually whatever it is the spirit has put on you to stand for healing give hand that to jesus right now give it he's he is hung on the cross and been beaten for it and by his stripes you he wants you to turn it over to him so that he can hand you back beauty for your ashes and jesus we just thank you and praise you for being here we thank you and praise you holy spirit for being here father we thank you for sending your son to die and to carry our sin and our burden and our sickness and we praise you and thank you. And we walk in total faith and belief, walking out of this auditorium, praising you and worshiping you today, that we are made whole and healed yes. in you right now. Yes. Spirit, seal it. Give them the grace to walk in faith and go in faith knowing you are healed and complete. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion here together. And I can't think of a better action point, you know, to do in the midst of taking hold of what it is that you're looking for God to do. You know, Jesus said, every time we come together, do this in remembrance of me, that he sets this, this table of covenant. And this is his promise to us. It's not a promise from a church. It's not a promise from Russ or anybody else. This is God's promise that he will take the ashes of our life and make something beautiful out of them. He'll take the brokenness of your heart and he'll create purity and innocence in them. He'll take where you are bound physically with sickness or disease and he'll bring wholeness and health and strength to your bodies. And so here at one chapel, we celebrate open communion, which means this. You don't have to be a member of this church to do communion here together. This is the table set by Jesus. And so there are two stations in front of each of these two sections. And how we're going to do this is that we're going to start from the front row, go all the way back, and you'll exit from your right, circle around, take some bread, dip in the juice, and circle back in. And we'll do that from row by row. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Don't just go through the motions of this. But I want you to realize that when you're doing this, in other words, your, your physical body is actually ingesting this bread and this juice inside of you. But even more, I want to ask you to do it as a step of faith and ask God to come in and begin to take over your body 
your mind, your emotions, and just as the saying is, what you eat, you are, then as you allow God to come in you, his character of wholeness, who he is as healer, let that begin just to soak in you. All right, let's do this here together.